Tonight we begin a brand new sermon series. It's a hats off to our ladies. The series is called Women of Faith. But I believe if we men will listen, we can learn something too. And tonight I invite you to open your Bibles to the 15th chapter of the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew. And we're going to look at our first woman of faith, our first lady of faith. And some of these you might be surprised who I'm going to include. Because I really believe if there's a hall of fame in heaven, better said a hall of faith in heaven, we might see this woman we're going to look at tonight. Jesus paid her one of the highest compliments that he paid to anybody in his lifetime here on earth. Matthew 15, beginning with verse 21. And Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaanite came out of the same coast. And she cried unto Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed. She's terribly perplexed with a demon. And Jesus answered her not a word. His disciples came and besought him, saying, Lord, send her away. She's continually crying after you. She's continually crying after us. She's bothersome. She's burdensome. She's aggravating. She's frustrating. She's getting on our nerves, Lord. Verse 24, but Jesus said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him. And she said, Lord, help me. Jesus answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the mongrel dogs. And she said, That is true, Lord. Yet the puppies, the puppies, eat of the crumbs which fall from the family table, from their master's table. Verse 28, And Jesus answered and said to this woman, Great is thy faith. How many times in the Gospels can you recollect that Jesus said to anybody, Great is your faith? Very few times. Yet he says to this woman, Great is thy faith, be it unto thee, even as thou will. And her daughter was made whole. Her daughter was delivered from the demon that very hour. Some years ago, on a television show called 2020, they had a segment concerning the marketing of baby chicks. Shortly after the hatching of these little chicks, these baby chicks were placed on a conveyor belt. Inspectors looked at the little chicks who were not been born very long, passed by them on the conveyor belt. And they looked for the chicks that were the biggest. They looked for the chicks that were the strongest. They looked for the chicks that had the best coloring. 
and they would take them off the conveyor belt. They would put them into a little box and prepare to ship them out to folks who might would want one for a pet or for other causes. The remaining chicks, the ones who were least, you might say, for whatever reason, the remaining chicks were allowed to stay on the conveyor belt. And the conveyor belt would come to an end. And the little chicks would drop off into a huge box. And there they would die. What these little baby chicks faced, who were allowed to stay on the conveyor belt and drop in the box and die in that box, in many ways is a picture of what the non-Jews in Jesus' day faced. The Gentiles, as they're called. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. You say, Pastor, I'm not a Jew tonight. Well, you're a Gentile then. Most of us are. And in that day, there was an arrogance. There was a superiority by the Jewish people toward anybody who was a non-Jew, particularly Gentiles. They rejected them. They dismissed them. And quite frankly, it wouldn't bother them a bit if every one of them was put to death. The Gentiles considered the Jews unfit to live, if I could be honest with you. Unfit to live in this life and certainly unfit to live in the life to come. They despised them, they denounced them, and they distanced themselves from them at every opportunity. Now I tell you this because it's interesting. Jesus is the Messiah to the Jews. He's the Savior of the Jews. He's the Lord of the Jews. He's the King of the Jews. And yet He makes a decision in Matthew chapter 15. He chooses to go into a non-Jewish area. He chooses to go to a Gentile area. And the disciples, upon hearing Him say... I am going to Tyr, I'm going to Sidon, I'm going to the coasts that surround these two cities. I'm sure the disciples are saying, what in the world is he doing? I can see him going. I can see them going. He's got to be kidding. He's the king of the Jews. He's the Messiah. Why in the world would he want to go to a non-Jewish area? Why in the world would we want to go to an area that's off limits to any respectable Jew? But just as Jesus had need to go through Samaria, I believe he saw need to go through Tyre and Sidon. He only went through Samaria once time that we know of in the Scriptures. And that was because there was a woman at the well who needed to see him. He only went through Tyre and Sidon one time, ladies and gentlemen, and you're looking at it right now. And may I suggest to you, it's because there was a woman who needed him. When someone needs Jesus, you can mark it down. He will make himself available to meet their need. 
And so Jesus is now in a Gentile area. He's in a place that's despised. He's in a place that's defiled. And he goes there to teach the disciples some lessons. Understand, these are the twelve men that are going to carry on his ministry when he goes to the cross. These are the twelve men that are going to be part of the church age, which is yet to come. These are twelve men that are steeped in Jewish prejudice. They're steeped in arrogance. They're, They're steeped in bigotry. They're steeped in prejudice. It's the Jews and everybody else. We're the master race. And everybody else is nothing. And yet Jesus goes to this area of non-Jews. Now I told you he's teaching them something here. And maybe one day they looked back and they remembered this. He's teaching them that God loves all people. God loves all people. He loves Jews. He loves Gentiles. He loves black. He loves white. He loves red. He loves yellow. He loves green. He loves red, blue. Jesus loves everyone. But God so loved the world. Who's the world? The people of the world, not the planet. When it comes to people, God is colorblind, culture-blind, class-blind, Creed blind, countenance blind, checkbook blind. So Jesus is going to teach these disciples that he loves a non-Jew. What a shock that must have been. He's also going to teach them salvation is for all people. Now I know we got some theologians today who say, well, God only saves certain people and the rest of them are going to hell. I guess they had theologians like that in his day, too. But if it's truly a whosoever will gospel, then it has to be a whosoever will invitation. And Jesus is teaching these disciples that the God who loves everyone offers salvation to everyone. What we do with the salvation is our choice, but the offer is on the table even to a Gentile woman. Thirdly, he's going to teach them that the kingdom of God is soon going to open up to everybody. You see, the Jewish people believed the kingdom of God was going to come. It'd be ushered in by the presence of the Messiah. And when it came, it would be a Jewish kingdom. All Jews... Well, Jesus came to say, the kingdom that I'm about to bring you is going to include everybody. The church age is going to come, and when it does, it will consist of whosoever wants to be part of it. So those are the lessons that Jesus is teaching the disciples. But let's go now to the woman, because that's really what the story is about. Jesus has need to go to Tyre and Sidon because there's a woman there he's going to meet. 
Now, I want us to see five things about this woman from the Scripture. Because I want you to get a picture of who she is. First of all, if you look at your Bible, it says in verse 22, she was a Canaanite. Now, the Canaanites in that day were pagans with a capital P. They were barbarians with a capital B. They were the worst sort of Gentiles. All Gentiles were bad. These were the worst of the bad. These were the bottom of the pot, if you will. The Canaanites were known for their worship of idols. They worshipped multiple gods. And they worshipped those gods with perverted sex. They worshipped those gods with the sacrifice of babies. They worshipped those gods by practicing the occult, dabbling in demonic darkness. And this woman was a Canaanite. No doubt she was everything I've just described to you, maybe more. It should be no surprise to us tonight when you understand that, that her daughter is demon-possessed. If you play with the devil, you will pay a price for it. There's a payday if you play with the devil. And she played with the devil, and the payday is her very daughter, her flesh and blood, is possessed by a demon. Secondly, This woman lives just outside of Tyre and Sidon. It says that Jesus went unto the coast of these two cities, these two towns. And the woman lived in that circumference, that area, if you will. It's interesting if you study the Bible and study Bible history that Tyre and Sidon were considered armpit places. When you look at the human body, two of the most disgusting places on your body and mine is the two armpits that we have. And Tyre and Sidon were called armpit places. They were considered nasty, foul, and wretched. They were sin cities, not in cities. They were sin cities. They were filled with darkness. They were filled with depravity. They were filled with drunkenness. They were filled with debauchery. And as I said earlier, they were filled with demons. And it should be noted that this woman made her home there. Would you make your home in such a place? Well, she did. And apparently she felt very comfortable with what was going on around her, because again, maybe she participated in it. She's a Canaanite. The worst of the worst of the Gentiles. She lives outside of Tyre and Sidon, two armpit cities, and she feels very comfortable there. Thirdly, she's a dog. That's what Jesus calls her. Verse 26, it is not meat. It is not meat. 
It is not necessary for the dogs to eat. It is not necessary to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Now in the English, a dog's a dog. (laughs) But in the Greek language, which is far more expressive and poetic, There's different names for dogs. And this particular dog that Jesus refers to her as is a mongrel dog. A dog that's a half-breed. A dog that's kind of like a wild dog. He eats out of the garbage dump. He goes to the graveyard and he digs up the graves and eats of the rotting corpuses. He's a mongrel dog. He's ugly. He's filthy. He's foul. He's disgusting. He's a nasty animal. No different than a pig or a buzzard or a jackal. And Jesus says that this woman is a mongrel dog. Wow. Wow. I wonder if he understood that she might be a prostitute. I wonder if Jesus was suggesting she might be a drunkard or a drug dealer or a drug user. I wonder if Jesus was suggesting she maybe she had a foul mouth. Maybe she was a witch. Maybe she was none of that. Maybe she was all of it. But Jesus says, you're a mongrel. You're filthy and you're foul. And you dabble in the toxic waste and garbage of this world. Are you getting a picture of this one? And Jesus says, I have a need to go to her. Would you go to her? Don't look so pious. No, you wouldn't. Pastor, would you go to her? I'm not going to be pious either. Probably not. But Jesus did. Fourthly, she knows that she is trash. She knows that. She knows that she was born on the wrong side of town. She knows what people think about her. She knows what people say about her. She knows what people think about her kind. She understands she's trash. She has no worth. She has no value. She has no significance. She knows what the Jewish people think and feel about her, what they talk about her, what they do to her. She knows that the Jewish people want her to burn in the garbage pit one day and then burn in hell the next. She understands who she is. And yet in all of that, ladies and gentlemen, fifthly, she knows Jesus can help her. She's a Canaanite. She's been born and raised in Tyre and Sidon. She's a mongrel dog. Wow. She's all of that. 
And she knows it. She has no hope for this life. She has no hope for the life of come except to burn. And yet somehow in her condition, think about this, somehow in this condition, she knows who Jesus is. How did she know who Jesus was? You ready for my answer? I don't know. (laughs) How does she know that Jesus has the power to free her daughter that's possessed by a demon when nobody or nothing else can? How does she know that? I don't know. How does she know that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, would dare help her? I don't know. You say, Pastor, you're pretty dumb tonight. If you've got a better answer, you let me know, or you're just as dumb as I am. I don't know how she knew those things. But she knew them. And she comes to Jesus when she hears that he's in her area. He has come to her. Now she is going to come to him. He has come to meet her. If you want to meet Jesus, you'll meet him. And if you want to run from Jesus, he'll let you run. But whosoever comes, the Bible says what? He will never turn away. And he now is making himself available to this woman that nobody has the time of day for, nobody has a prayer for, nobody has any use for. This is the woman he came to see. (laughs) Secondly, if you look at our text and our verses, I want us to consider the woman whose faith he beholds. This is a pagan, this is a barbarian, this is an idol worshiper. This is a lady who has more foolishness and wickedness than probably all of us combined here tonight. And yet she has something that Jesus admires in her and it's called faith. In verse 28, he pays her one of the highest compliments he ever paid anybody in the Gospels. O woman, great is thy faith. Great is thy faith. You have a faith that is a pinnacle faith. You have a faith that is a preeminent faith. You have a faith that is a prominent faith. You have a faith that is a prioritized faith. You just don't have a faith. You have a top-of-the-line Cadillac faith. And I don't see much of that. And because of your faith, whatever you want, It shall be. The woman has a faith that he admires. Now understand what her faith is going to allow her to do. That faith is going to move her out of the ordinary to the extraordinary, out of the natural to the supernatural. Notice with that faith she confesses who he is. His own people who he came to save don't know who he is. 
Some of the disciples don't even know who he is. They haven't figured it out yet either. But she knows. Look at verse 22. Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. O Lord, Messiah, Yahweh, thou son of David. What a testimony. She knew who he was. He's the son of David. He's the Messiah. That's what she's saying. You're the Messiah. But you're more than the Messiah. Pay attention. You're more than the Messiah. You are the true and the living God. What a statement to come out of her mouth. Where did she learn that from? Did somebody tell it to her? Did she read it in a book? How did she learn that? Maybe the same way Peter would one chapter later. When Jesus said to the disciples, who am I? And they came up with all the answers that everybody else said he was. And Peter, in his pinnacle moment of his life, said, Lord, I know who you are. I don't know what everybody else says about you. I don't know what these other disciples believe about you. But Lord, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him in Matthew 16, verse 17, Simon Peter, you didn't figure this out yourself. God told you. Don't that put a shiver down your spot? God told you that, Peter. And I believe God told this Canaanite woman who Jesus was. He revealed it to her. He's a God of revelation. She wanted to know, and God told her. The secrets of God are made known to those who want to know them. And to those who don't want to know them, He keeps them secret. She confesses who He is. And Jesus says, what a faith. You've got a great faith. She also comes seeking mercy. Verse 27. She says, Lord, even the puppies, even the dogs that are loved by the Master, they may not get a full meal, but they get an opportunity to eat the pieces of steak, pieces of chicken that fall from the table. They get a chance to have some of that butter biscuit that crumbles up and falls. They get a chance to eat what the master eats because they're part of the family. And then notice he also said in verse 22, she's asked for mercy. We live in a world where we got rights. We make demands. You don't know who I am. I deserve this. Give it to me. She doesn't come to Jesus expecting nothing. She comes asking for mercy. I have no rights, Lord. I have no wealth, Lord. 
I have no offering, Lord. I have no works to bring. I have no righteousness. I have no promises. Lord, all I have is me. Just as I am without one plea, I come as a sinner. And you rightly can send me away and give me nothing. But I remind you, I want to be like a puppy to you. I want to be part of your family. Would you just allow me in your mercy just to eat some of the crumbs that fall from your table? When I think of what she said, I think of Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish and disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, toward us, things were changed. No longer by our works of righteousness we have done, but according to His mercy, according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, and we are justified by His grace. She came to Jesus and she said, I deserve nothing from you. You are right, I am a mongrel dog. And if you kicked me in the teeth and ran me off, I deserve it. But I come to you desiring to want to be part of your family. I want to be a puppy. And those of you who have dogs, aren't the dogs part of your family? Sure they are. You give them a name, they, they're in your home, they live with you, they're part of your life. When something happens to them, you grieve. She says, Jesus, I am a mongrel dog, but I would love to be part of your family. I'd love just to be a little puppy, and if you don't mind, could I eat some of the scraps that fall off the table? She comes seeking mercy that comes out of her faith. She comes knowing who Jesus is that comes out of her faith. In verse 25, it says she worships him. Can you imagine that? I hope when we get to heaven, we can go back and see this on the big screen. Maybe we can talk to her about it, but I'd love to see it. I'd love to see this woman as she worships Jesus. I wonder if she worships him like we do. I wonder if she worships him like we do. I wonder if she worships him like we do. I sure hope not. May I suggest how I believe she worshipped him? With tears in her eyes. And tears are a language God understands. I believe tears were flowing down her face as she is kneeling, maybe even lying down before Jesus. 
with words that are trembling out of her mouth. She wasn't a speaker. She wasn't smooth. She wasn't eloquent. She didn't have a speech. But with trembling words that were sincere and genuine, she praises Him. She thanks Him. She glorifies Him. Maybe she reaches her hands out. You say, Pastor, was she a Baptist? I don't know. She raised her hand and reached her hands out. She was sincere. She was unashamed. She was loving. She was earnest. And Jesus looks and watches her. I wonder how many Jews did that. Not a lot. But she did. You know what I found in my life, and I think you find it if you go through the Bible, those who love the Jesus the most are those that He saves the best. Some of us who are not so bad, but we got saved, we kind of, I think, become at times very casual in our treatment of Him. But those of us who come out of deep sin, we were drunkards, we were harlots, we were drug dealers, we were drug users, we were mongrels, nothings. We understand what it's like when He reaches that hand down in that hole. Pulls us up. Takes us out of the darkness into the light and transforms our life and makes us something we never could have made ourselves. And that's exactly why she worshipped Him that way. And then lastly and through, she receives something because of that faith. You have the faith of a mustard seed. Mustard seeds are small. You can't hardly see them. You have all the faith that you need to order a mountain into the sea. In verse 28, Jesus says to her, O woman, great is thy faith. Whatever you want from that faith, it shall be given. What did she want? The Bible says that her daughter would be delivered. And the Bible says the daughter was made whole that very hour. I'd like to speculate, if I may. And if I'm wrong when we get to heaven, I'll apologize. That something more happened than just that woman's daughter being delivered from a demon possession. I believe another miracle took place that day. I believe this Canaanite woman was born again. I believe she gave her life to Jesus. She gave him all that she knew about him. She gave it to him. And as he healed and delivered her daughter, he saved her soul. Tonight, remember the two words that's the key. By faith. If you want to be in God's hall of fame, if you want to be a man or a lady who one day will be remembered, 
live by faith. Think about this and I'm through. An unnamed Gentile woman on the conveyor belt of wickedness headed to a drop-off box called death and hell despised and rejected by most everybody was chosen by God to be gloriously saved and her daughter gloriously healed. If that's not a story to shout about, your clangor is broke and your vocal cords are froze over. Heads are bowed and eyes